0: open your Bibles if you have them with you or your tablet or your smartphone and turn to the passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. Remember we said that this is Peter's letter to be circulated in the churches. The theme is hope in the midst of suffering. We're working through a passage that uh, has talked about our willingness, our availability, the, the need for us to be ready to always give an answer for the hope that is within us when we experience trials and difficulties. And, and now Peter takes a few verses to illustrate what it means to follow Christ in the midst of suffering. And before he does that, this one verse 18 is gonna just highlight the fact that Christ did suffer for us. I like what theologian John Stott said. He said, the concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. I just love that. And Peter addresses that in this one verse. So th- this could either be a very short sermon, because it's one verse, or a very long sermon. One of our ladies that used to put the outlines together for me every week when there were just a few points, she said, It's going to be a long sermon, Pastor. And she was usually right. So we'll see how this works out. If you would just follow along as I read this one verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. Such a simple statement of the crucifixion, of the, the role of Christ in the cross and our, our salvation. We're just going to look at a few uh, points of application, really look at the truths here and apply them to our lives here. So four things this morning. Number one, it's very clear here that Peter wants us to know that Christ suffered death for us. Christ, Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh, the perfect man, suffered death death for us and it says clearly in verse 18 18, Christ also suffered for our sins once for all I think about the images that have been put forth over the years of the crucifixion of the scourging of Jesus of him hanging on the cross and and recent films that have that have come out in, in the last decade or so, really portraying that graphically, vividly, so much so that some of those films have gone an R rating because it's the, the violence of what happened to Jesus when he suffered for us is, is so graphic and difficult. He suffered for us. He suffered death. That suffering was intense. Isaiah talked about it. We're going to look at that in a minute. I was reading about a... Brian Chapel uh, tells a story about a distressed father that whose son was injured in a basketball game and he experienced some some internal injuries and was bleeding internally and they rushed him to the hospital. He was in a comatose state. They didn't know if he was going to make it and, and that father was at the bedside of what he thought was his dying son and a pastor came in to see him. The father all alone there when the pastor shows up says this to the pastor, will God kill my son to punish me for my sin? What a heartbreaking answer. Sometimes as pastors, we get to try to answer those. So here's what this father's thinking. Because of his sin, his son is going to die. And the pastor thought for a minute and said, no, the Lord's not punishing your son for your sin because he's already punished his son for your sin. What an opportunity to share the gospel. That is what has happened, folks. That's what it means that Christ suffered for us. If you would hold that place, because we'll come back to 1 Peter 3, but I'd like you to look at Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, the passage of scripture that's known as the description of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, it's on page 731 if you're having trouble finding it, all right? This whole passage, this whole section, is a a picture, a prophetic word of how Jesus, the Messiah, would come and, and fulfill God's promise to be the sacrifice for sin, and the, 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 just the heart of it, I believe, is Isaiah 53. Just begin in verse 3 with me. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Look at verse 4. He, bore, he himself bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned our own way. But the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Some translations say, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Skip to verse 10 there. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering or a substitute offering, he will see his seed and will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. What a description of Jesus, the crucifixion, the trial. I went through this passage this week just marveling at how in this one passage of Scripture, the suffering, the death of Christ is, is emphasized, almost shouting at us. In verse 3, the word suffering jumps out at me. In verse 4, he bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. You have the word stricken and struck down, afflicted. Verse 5, he was pierced. He was crushed. He was wounded, verse 5. Verse 6, again, he was punished. Verse 7, oppressed, afflicted. Again in verse 10, the word crushed is repeated. He gave his life a painful sacrificial, suffering death for us. One of the incredible stories that I saw a documentary on years ago was a skydiver who was tandem attached to a lady who had jumped on 140-something birthday out of an airplane and as they started making their way to the to the ground, one shoot didn't work, and then the next shoot didn't work, and I think they just had the, the small shoot Anyway, he told the lady, I want you to pull up your legs, because he was tandem attached to her, and we're going to hit the ground, and I'm going to take the brunt of this fall. And he pulled himself up, and he landed on the ground, and took the brunt of the fall, and he's paralyzed. He survived it, but this, this, this lady says, he saved my life, because his body took the impact of the fall out of the plane. And I thought, there's a picture of the gospel. You just kind of curl up in a ball, and I'm going to let my body take the brunt of this fall. And that's exactly what he did. And that's what Christ did for us. He says, You just rest in me, right? You just relax in me because I've got this. And Isaiah 53 talks about the crushing and the suffering and being stricken, being crucified for us. Christ died. He suffered, not just died, but he suffered death for us. Second truth in this passage, Christ's sacrifice was final. This is an incredibly deep theological truth. Christ's sacrifice was final. It was conclusive. It was complete. It was all that was needed. Again, verse 18, Christ Christ also suffered for sins once for all. Once for all. Scholars believe that refers back to the day of atonement when sacrifices were made and the animal sacrifice was brought. And year after year, the writer of Hebrews says sacrifices were brought. Yet when Christ died, he became the ultimate sacrifice once for all. Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to back up a a book there in your New Testament, you'll have James and then the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, listen to verse 11 through 14. 14. Every priest this 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 uh, calls back to hearkens back to the days of the Old Testament sacrificial system every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins they were all temporary they were temporary coverings that looked forward those could never take away sins but this man who's this man Jesus there's your Sunday school answer right <laughs> I know the answer to this one, Jesus. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Christ's sacrifice was final. It was conclusive. Peter says it this way, once for all. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, says... He says that he sat down when he had finished it. For by one offering, verse 14, I think about it, the testimony of the crucifixion, as the gospel writers wrote, as Jesus died, he said those words, it is finished. Now, most say it is finished means he's breathing his last breath and his life is over. It is finished. That's true. But you know what it meant more than that? Theologically, it meant that atonement had been accomplished. Once and for all, the sacrifice for sin had been made, and it is finished. I've shared this story before. I'm not proud of it, but my very first job, I sat down on the job, and I got chewed out big time. I had no idea when you were still in the middle of your work job. We were working on some stuff, and I had some tools. I just sat down on the ground, and I was working like I was working at my house. And the boss saw me and came over, and he chewed me out in front of everybody, and I was so embarrassed. And basically, he said, Kevin, you don't ever sit down until the day's over, the job's done. That made a lasting impact on me. When you're out working in a refinery in a pipe yard, you don't sit down until you're done working. Jesus says this, the Bible says this of Jesus, when he was done, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know what sitting down means? The job's done, finished, over. So it's not just a reference to him going to the right hand of the Father, but it's a, it's a reference of it is finished. Christ's sacrifice was final. There is no need for another sacrifice for sin. Christ died for us on the cross one time, once for all. And once for all doesn't just mean once and once and forever. It means once for everyone. He suffered death for us. Number two, his sacrifice was final. Number three, this is so significant. Christ died in our place. Christ died in our place. I'm back in 1 Peter chapter 3 again. The Bible says Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, who's the righteous? Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Who's the unrighteous? Sinful man. We, us, we are the unrighteous. Christ died in my place, the righteous for the unrighteous. There's a song that choirs used to sing, listen to the hammer, ring, and rejoice, for he's taken everything that was against us and nailed it to the cross. That's what this is talking about. He died in my place. He took my sin. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died For the ungodly, for rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might also even dare to die. But God, I love verse 8 of Romans 5, but God proves his own love for us this way, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have been declared righteous by his blood, we have been saved through him from wrath. Christ died for us. So Peter says it this way: righteous for the unrighteous. Paul says it this way: Christ died for us. That little word, FOR, means in our place. It can mean a lot of things in the original language, but in these two contexts, it means Christ died in my place. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21: the one, or he made the one. Christ who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is called the substitutionary death of Christ. I deserved death. Christ died in my place. The judge said guilty. And Christ stepped up and said, I will take the penalty and the price. In essence, if you really want to think about it, Christ is the judge that says guilty. He steps out of the judge's bench and says, now I'll pay the price. I'll pay the penalty for that person's crime." his sin. He died in my place. Actor Kevin Bacon was trying to explain to his six-year-old son about his role in the movie Footloose because his son saw it for the first time years after he was in it. And so his son says this, hey, dad, you know that thing you did in the movie when you were swinging from the rafters in that building? He said, sure. He said, dad, that was really cool. How did you do that? Kevin Bacon told his son, well, I really didn't do that part. It was a stuntman. So he asked, Dad, what's a stuntman? He said, well, it's someone that dresses like me and does things that I can't do. His son said, oh, that's cool. A little later, his son's still confused. He says, hey, Dad, you know that that thing in the movie where you spin around on that gym floor and then you land on your feet? How did you do that? He told his son, well, I didn't do that. It was a gymnastics double. Hey, Dad, what's a gymnastics double? Well, it's a person that dresses like I do and does stuff that I can't do. Oh, the son got real quiet for a while there. There's silence. He says, Dad, what did you do in that movie? (laughs) He said, well, I guess I got all the glory for what someone else did. I thought about that. When it comes to salvation, what did we do? Nothing. Nothing. It's by grace, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. The only thing that I did was by faith, trusted Christ. And do you know that he even gave me the faith to do that? All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah said, we've turned everyone to his own way. But God laid our sins on his son in our place. What did you do? (laughs) Nothing. I asked a man uh, last week, went to visit him, and we were talking about uh, the Christian life, and, and uh, t- he talked about, I asked him that question, do you plan on going to heaven when you die? Yes, and I go back to that second question. If you were to stand before God, what would you tell him? And he said, I'd tell him I've been a good person. Again, I keep getting that answer. And basically, what the, the, what the answer that comes back is, I'm going to tell God everything I did for him. We need to be like Kevin Bacon. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but... And just say, I didn't do anything. God, here I am. I'm standing before you, unworthy of your love, but thankful that you died in my place in the person of Christ. He suffered death for us, finally, conclusively, completely. He died in my place. It's the substitution of Christ where I should have been the one suffering, but He suffered in my place. And then, number four, which is the reality of what all that accomplished for us, the death of Christ reconciled us to God. The death of Christ reconciled us to God. That next phrase in verse 18, I'm going to start at the beginning. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Here it is, that he might bring you to God. There it is. Christ died He suffered a death on the cross in my place, completely taking care of sin so that I might be brought to God. There's a paraphrase of some of these scriptures that says God is is here and man is here and Jesus Christ, his son, stands in between and pulls them together. That's what Christ did at the cross. That's the, the reconciliation. Paul said, and I mentioned Romans 5 a minute ago. We looked at verse 6 through 9. Verse 10 in Romans 5 For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be be saved by his life? We were reconciled to God. Do you remember in John chapter 14, the, the story where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you, that where I am there, you may be also. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. That's my paraphrase. Where are you going? And and this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by, what? Me. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way you are reconciled to the Father. Peter says it this way, to bring us to God. Paul uses the word reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul also said the phrase, we have been reconciled, God has reconciled us to himself, through Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind have now been reconciled by his body through his death. Folks, we've been been reconciled to God. We used to sing a chorus uh, years ago, "I, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. I can't remember how the song goes, but that line was in there. The debt that I owed was a sin debt. The Bible says, "But Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that I have done wrong things. Not only that, but it also means that I, I will never measure up to God's standard of holiness. We talked about that last week, I believe. No matter how good I want to be, I can't be good enough. I fall short. I sin. I, I turn my back on God. I have this sin debt that I cannot pay. And he came in and he reconciled me to God by paying that debt. In the Gospels, the Bible shares how when Jesus was crucified and he says it is finished, that one of the Gospel writers, Matthew, writes that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That in the temple, which was a picture of, of how we come to God, you had the, the holy place And then you had a temple veil, a thick veil, and then you had the Holy of Holies in it. That Holy of Holies was where the mercy seat was, the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring the offering, the sacrificial blood offering, and place it there on the mercy seat to be atonement for the sins of the people, a temporary covering for one year. That's that's what happened at the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was a picture of the meeting place where God was. That's where God showed up. That's where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And so so there's this picture of mankind coming into the Holy of Holies, yet there's still this barrier between us and a holy God, and something needs to take care of that barrier. And the high priest had to bring the blood offering. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn to, to be a picture that the barrier has been removed. Now we have complete, total, free access to God the Father because we've been reconciled to him. Have you ever been at odds with someone? Every one of us have them, I, I know. because <laughs> That's life, right? Someone either offends me or I offend them. Somebody either says something and it gets me the wrong way or whatever, and, and immediately this barrier goes up. You can't see the barrier, right? You might, but usually you can't. But there's this emotional, some disconnect, right? And I've even gone to people in my Christian life and said, I, I feel like there's something in between us, and I don't know what it is. There's something has happened. Can we make this right? And usually you're able to work through that, and the barrier's gone. I know that barrier exists in my relationship with Kelly. When, when, when we, we, by the way, I've said this for, over, for years. We never fight. We just have intense fellowship, okay? <laughs> so in some of those moments of intense fellowship, whoever said whatever it was, you feel this barrier. And you know you walk around the same house with a person, That you've lived with for 30 years and you feel like there's this barrier. Anybody else relate to this but me? And when I finally say, Let's talk about that barrier, usually she's the one that'll do that. We get it out of the way, and there's just it's it's gone. It's like it it vaporizes. Think about the sin barrier that separates us from a holy God. In the cross, that barrier was eliminated by the death of Christ. The temple veil was torn. Reconciliation. I was reading recently about the Berlin Wall. Those of us that are old enough know about growing up with communism being this incredible threat. In the 1960s really was the beginning of that it really strong emphasis of the Cold War where a, a wall was built between East Berlin and West Berlin. And East Berlin was the communist bloc and represented all of those communist countries. And you had West Berlin, which was free. And as certain uh, communist countries, Eastern Bloc countries, started to have revolution and begin to fall, Ronald Reagan stands up there and says, Mr. Gorbachev, what did he say? Tear down this wall. And what he was saying is, let's take this barrier that has been symbolic of communism dividing and isolating people. And he went to the head of the communist state and said, tear it down. And we saw that Berlin Wall come down. And it was this picture of the barrier gone at the cross. God the Father, in essence, said, let's tear down that wall. And let's make it possible for mankind to have access to the Father through Christ if, you've, if you haven't come to that place in your life where you've acknowledged that there's a sin barrier and realizing that Christ took the barrier away, if you haven't come to that place, you need to come to that place in your own heart and mind to understand you've sinned and God dealt with it at the cross. The Bible says in John chapter 1, as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. You have to trust him by faith. You have to receive him. We want to give you an opportunity to do that in a minute. In a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to pray. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, if you would just, I'll be standing down front here in a moment. We'd love for you to come and say, Pastor, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. We'll introduce you to someone who can help you with that decision. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and God has been speaking to your heart about something else today. And you just need to make this time of commitment a time where you get right with him. We encourage you to do that. Let's pray together.